This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 109, where we're giving you our spoiler-filled recap of Marvel's Daredevil season one and two on Netflix. When I was a kid, I used to dream what it would be like to, to live somewhere far away from Hell's Kitchen, somewhere beautiful. I realized that the city was a part of me, that it was in my blood. I would do anything to make it a better place. If he had an iron suit or a magic hammer, maybe that would explain why you keep getting your asses handed to you. Welcome back, fellow Defenders. This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 109. And yes, yes, you asked for it and we deliver. This is our spoiler-filled recap of Marvel's Daredevil Season 1 and 2, only available on Netflix. I'm one of your hosts, Chris. Hi, I'm one of your other hosts, John. And I'm your final host, Derek. Lawyer by day, defender by night, I think was my old uh, my old line when we started our coverage of, of Marvel's Daredevil uh, two and a half years ago. I know, 109 <laughs> episodes later, uh-huh. and now we're less than a month away from Defenders. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine, guys? It's 109 episodes later, but we're nearly there. We're going to be seeing the four unite against what we can only assume is the hand. Yes, yes, I think that's our big assumption yeah, for Defenders. Season definitely. Mm-hmm. Imagine it turned out to be Thanos, and then we'd be like, ah, surprise! <laughs> Absolutely, the, the actual lead-in to, uh, to Infinity War starts in Defenders on our TV screens, <laughs> where all of them are probably killed, because they probably couldn't go up against uh, Thanos. No matter how much we love these characters, I don't think they could take on Thanos. Ah, they could. That chin looks really like uh, a big glass glass chin. It was shattered <laughs> oh, yeah. with one punch. One punch from which one's going to punch him, though? And he and he was a girly kind of hand glove thing. <laughs> the with loads of gone. jewels and yeah. <laughs> right, we've already it's been derailed. Jazzled. That that doesn't yeah, bejazzled uh, glove. Um, All right, but one thing right. we forgot to say in our Defenders recap episode: we haven't watched any episodes of Defenders yet. Just to make sure we're clear on that, we we hopefully will be getting a couple of episodes before the show airs on the eighteenth of August, which will allow us to do our. Uh, pre- or our review episodes of Defenders Episode 1. But as we record these recaps, we have not watched any episodes of Defenders. So any spoilers are unintentional <laughs> for the Defenders. Any speculation is wild and fantastical. Mm-hmm. And we will take note if we do get anything correct, because booyah, we should be writers on this show. <laughs> <laughs> but fellow Defenders, that has hardly ever happened. <laughs> it did for Iron Fist. It did. And don't forget, we are now just... A mere couple of days away of seeing a big, massive hand come out of the hole. That is true. In Defenders. It's only a couple of days away. You know some of the showrunners and the writers have been listening to this podcast going, <laughs> that's a good idea, I'm going to steal that. That started in in our Daredevil coverage, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah it did. See, um, it's yeah. almost like a callback to this, show, this episode. Absolutely. So... Guys, fellow Defenders, I should say, if you're here with us, we're all leading up to the eight episodes, and we will review each eight episodes of the Defenders individually, so you can listen along at your own pace. 
Um, the episodes will be released weekly with our first episode out on the morning of uh, the 18th of August, just after the first episode airs, or I should say the whole series drops. Now, to let you know, we don't watch ahead. What we do is we watch, we record, we watch, we record all on the beautiful overlord that is Derek, who keeps an eye on us to make sure we don't. But this is a way that you can send us in feedback at feedback at Defenders TV podcast or go onto our website at Defenders TV podcast and click leave one of the audio feedback. And just make sure that you tell us which one it's for so that we basically don't spoil ourselves by checking or looking at your feedback. But we want your feedback, so it'd be great to have... You guys, as you watch along, quickly send us a mail, send us uh, a voicemail as well. Mm-hmm. We'll put you in on the show. But more importantly, so that you know when each new episode is coming out, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple's podcasts, formerly iTunes, at DefendersTVPodcast.com forward slash iTunes, or any good or evil defender supporting or hand supporting podcast catcher thank you john for that brilliant new uh, piece uh, of your choice <laughs> uh, just search for defender tv podcast you'll find us on the tv podcast industries you'll find individual feeds for each of the previous shows that we've done all obviously leading to the beautiful defenders tv podcast guys have i forgotten anything in that maelstrom that was announcements yes our public service announcements yeah yes <laughs> psas no did really well chris did really well uh, just one thing if the fellow defenders want to join us over on our facebook group you can join us at facebook.com slash groups slash defenders tv podcast where we talk obviously all about the podcast all about the episodes um not spoiling them of course for anybody who hasn't watched um and everything else loads of comic book talk and that kind of stuff as well so uh, come join us over there and you'll see exactly what we get up to in between all of our absolutely episodes. <laughs> absolutely and of course you can uh, come and join us on twitter as well and tweet along like a good old morning chorus uh, just go to the twitter handle at defenders cast that is it we are here on our starting our recaps and we thought the best way to do it would be start with daredevil season one We'll kind of talk about who created the show, the showrunners, give a short synopsis, and then what we think is the main theme of season one, um, and kind of any discussions we have around that. Then what we'll do is jump into season two, discuss season two, showrunners, actors, directors, but more importantly, what the theme of season two was, and actually where we leave off. Where are our Daredevil players at the end of season two coming into the Defenders? So, guys, I think that's it. I think we should kick off. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I suppose the series uh, creator was the bloodthirsty Drew Goddard mm-hmm. um, with a penchant for violence. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Drew Goddard came on board to kind of set up the series at Netflix. Uh, he'd come from um, Cabin in the Woods, uh, yeah. working with Joss Whedon, so had a connection to the Marvel Universe through through Joss Whedon, came on, set up the show, and moved off before the series started. Um, the show was uh, was given over to a new showrunner, Stephen DeKnight, uh, who's now working on Pacific Rim 2 yeah. uh, over in Australia. So He ramped up the bloodthirsty action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but apparently the template from Drew Goddard was very specific and, and had a good idea of how to get a realistic, brand new idea for Netflix having this uh, this comic book superhero show uh, on with 13, 13 full episodes from Marvel. Uh, at the time, they were saying that it was pretty much, when they went over there, it was House of Cards and Lilyhammer were pretty much the two only, and Orange is the New Black, excuse me, were the three um, exclusive shows that are over on Netflix. And 
effectively, Jeff Loeb, when he went to them, kind of said, well, I can do something that's more popular than Lilyhammer, which is a very obscure show that a lot of people don't even remember now. Um, and that was kind of his template. He'd do better than Lilyhammer, but may not be as good as House of Cards or, uh, or Orange is the New Black. Interesting. Did, succeed? Did they succeed? Well, I mean, certainly. I Season one was kind of just felt like a game changer in just how adult it felt. It's interesting just before the podcast, just looking at um, episode one, I think, of season one or one of the episodes. Um, and actually, because I've not seen it in such a long time, the visceral violence of it all really just like, hit home and i believe it was the uh bowling ball in the face it was that violent episode episode uh, three yeah yeah um i think where one of fisk's men is uh, sort of just stamping his authority with um a bowling <laughs> ball no less into the face of one of the older crime lords sort of kind of mafioso and um, that really their day is done and um, there is a new player in town mm-hmm. um, and I, I think like that whole thing just really contrasted nicely with the cinematic universe and, and it made it feel you know different and good yeah if I remember rightly that was the scene that uh, that created the moment of Ugh. Uh, that came out of uh, of each episode of Daredevil throughout the season. We just weren't expecting the level of violence, things like a head going through a spike, um, yep. which is one that I that stands out to me to this day. Of oh wow, they stayed the camera stayed focused on that. It wasn't something that pulled away <laughs> that, like they would do in a normal Marvel movie. Oh yeah, and let's not forget the corridor scene that will never be forgotten. Oh, no. absolutely never forgotten. And of course, just with the. Amazing Wesley uh, wiping blood from his uh, from his cheek um, was just a, a really nice little touch. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with you guys more. Like we, prior to starting this podcast and kind of coming into it, I was not sure. I was expecting a Agent Carter esque, Agents of Shield esque um, show. That's mm. what I was expecting. That I was expecting awesome. can, a lot more connected to the MCU in both visceral art style and more I was not expecting the dark kind of Marvel Max version of the MCU that we have been given mm. and that they have grown this is an adult this is not the the show that you take your son or daughter t- to watch on a Sunday matinee this is this is something for adults. This was made by adults for adults. This is a Marvel Max series yeah. where you have sex, where you have violence, where it's not... Uh, we made the joke, Thanos. It is the street-level heroes looking after the street-level Manhattan and New York and Jersey, and I know I'm probably forgetting a third. Part of, there we go. Uh, <laughs> we haven't got there yet in our synopsis. That's why I'm not remembering. That's, that's- um, And we're just starting in Hell's Kitchen, like, so let's actually, speaking of, let's kind of jump into this because I want to go through the synopsis of season one and then actually discuss what season one was and the themes of it, because I think we could get quite spoilery without it. And obviously, fellow defenders, if you have not um, watched season one yet, feel free to listen along or go pause now, go watch all uh, 13 episodes and come back to us and uh, we'll be right here waiting for you. John, would you like to give us a quick synopsis of all of season one? 
Wow, I will try. I will try <laughs> my best. Matt Murdock recently graduated from college with his best friend Foggy Nelson and set up a law practice, but can't find any paying customers as they only want to defend the innocent. Meanwhile, personal assistant Karen Page discovers irregularities in the books of the company she works for. She is found out and wakes up beside the body of her work colleague. Framed for the murder, Matt uses his powers to determine that she's innocent and gets Karen out of the situation, leading her to work as their legal assistant. Behind the scenes of the construction company's irregularities stands many nefarious characters trying to turn the rebuilding of New York after the incident to their advantage. They include the drug dealer Madame Gao, Russian mobsters, the Ranskahov brothers, accountant Leyland the Owl Owsley, reanimated Japanese ninja Nobu, aspiring kingpin of crime Wilson Fisk, and his right-hand man Wesley. As Matt Murdock dons a costume at night to save the innocence of his neighbourhood, Hell's Kitchen, it puts him at odds with Foggy, Karen, and the nurse who works at night, Claire Temple. The uneasy alliance between the criminals begins to fall apart. Trying to fix the situation, Daredevil tries to take down each of the criminals, putting him on a collision course with Fisk. Karen Page brings her evidence of corruption to the New York Bulletin's investigative reporter, Ben Urich. Eric goes in-depth and is in the sights of Wilson Fisk, who personally removes him from the equation. Karen has revealed that she is involved by paying a visit to Fisk's mother and is kidnapped by Wesley, and when her life is threatened, she murders Wesley. Daredevil gets a new armour-packed costume and goes fist-to-fist with the powerful Kingpin, winning the battle and sending him off to prison on Rikers Island. Now, that's a way to do a synopsis for a 13-episode, 13-hour-long series. Well done, John. <laughs> Woo! Wanted to make sure you hit the main points, obviously. There's lots going on in the it's series. It's a synopsis of, marathon. It was, it was. But lots of new characters that we'd never seen before. Some characters from the comic books that are used very differently in the series. Um, and some very new characters to the show who we've grown to love uh, over the course of the other series that they've that they've appeared in. So, uh, so really interesting overall. Where do you want to start, guys? What's your what's your overall feeling um, to start with, Chris? Do you want to kind of kick us off? For me, it was very much the introduction to the world. That's the bit that got me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was Drew Goddard had a vision for the Marvel Netflix MCU. Or sorry, I should say the Netflix MCU. I'm never sure. We actually never find and actually settle on what we're going to call it. But I think we're yeah. going to call it the MCU Netflix or Netflix MCU. Yeah, yeah. I think it's still it's still all MCU. Everything's connected, as they say. Yeah. So uh, still all MCU. So we never settled on one. But yeah, Netflix MCU possibly. Um, it was very much what Drew Goddard and Stephen Knight set up in terms of this. We were all expecting some. I don't know what we were expecting, but we were expecting a bit more brighter show a brighter environment Mm. brighter themes um and this is but they kind of came in they came out of the bat swinging very much so it's kind of setting this up as no 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 this is a different type of show this is you will you will not get iron man although we we get teases of the green man or the, the the flag wearing shield guy or um the the man in the iron suit all those types of teases, this is something different. And I think that's what, I, I think that's the biggest part about season one, which was, it was 
basically setting up that, that this is a different world it is a different view on the world and you will get something quite different here yeah yeah i think what struck me was the is the visual style of the show um watching it back again kind of to get prepped for the for doing this podcast really it's looking at how the show is filmed it is really grittily filmed it's it's not bright it is definitely in the darkness a lot uh, glad that we have a better tv than we had uh, when we watched it originally so we can actually see a lot of the scenes though <laughs> we're so dark at the time um but I love how it's filmed. I love this style. It really feels like something that could fit into the universe of a Martin Scorsese kind of uh, kind of movie. It's it's that style of New York filming. Um, lots of rain, lots of darkness, lots of things happening at night. Um, and I love the idea that it starts off with a very innocent character of um, of Foggy Nelson and Matt Murdock straight out of college, basically a couple of, couple of years, I think, or a year out of college, uh, setting up their own law practice. Um, they seem very innocent. They seem to want to protect the innocent because of what they've experienced at the bigger law firms. Uh, and that means in New York, in this area, Hell's Kitchen, that means, well, it's going to be difficult finding customers if all you're going to do is, is protect the innocent. The innocent people are the poor people who can't pay you. So, um, so I like those. I like that bit. I like the idea that they're... Um, that they're up against it all the time. There's a great moment where, um, which I was watching uh, a little while ago, where uh, where Wesley comes to them on behalf of Fisk, and they're really tempted by the idea of taking the money from Wesley, uh, of taking taking money to set up their law firm. If they just do one bad job, can they cover their costs to continue what they want to do? And then obviously the question is, well, if they take one bad job, what's to stop them taking another bad job and going down that path? So I like even on the legal side. There's a, a moral challenge for Foggy and Matt. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, like, for me, I think, yeah, going into this new world, um, I think that the danger that is present across all these episodes for any of the protagonists, and I don't just mean the danger of potential death, but the, the danger for their relationships, the danger with injury, uh, all of this just felt really kind of real and just fresh compared to the MCU, mm. where, uh, you know, you're dealing with superhero powers where maybe, you know, that that, that danger uh, recedes somewhat. And so um, it adds a different dimension to the character that you're looking at. So I, I really enjoyed that. And I, I actually enjoyed that, you know, they had this this real little tone of, of, of danger, but also the violence. I think, um, you know, you're dealing with a, a criminal uh, crime lord. You're, you're dealing with him effectively stamping his authority onto Hell's Kitchen and the wider New York and the older sort of uh, crime bosses effectively, you know, running their course and and, and being displaced. Um, So I really enjoyed that as well. I think also for me, I really enjoyed some of the the side characters. Like it wasn't just the Wilson Fisk and the Matt Murdock, although I loved the way Wilson Fisk was kept into the background of the show until what I think was it episode five or six or something like that. And it really added a kind of a a menace to it. And I think at least to begin with, until maybe the last three or four episodes, you know, Wilson Fisk and Matt Murdock, to some extent are mirroring one another in what they want to achieve. Um, at least what Fisk is portraying, you know, whereas saying Jessica, it's about 
Kilgrave within the head of of Jessica, mm. being within her and controlling her. This is about two people with similar aims and goals, but going about it in, with very different means. Um, and I think, yeah, the, the the I absolutely adored Wesley in in this. I cannot believe, I still cannot believe that Karen killed him. And um, that was just like, no, I really enjoyed Wesley in this. And of course, over time, uh, all through this episode, Madame Gao as well, who has become one of my favourites throughout the season. And I think Wesley would have been the same if he had been there in season two. I think some of the, the, the supporting characters around the, the two main protagonists, including Nelson as well, really, really solid. Um, and I've got a real special uh, place for, for Wesley and Madame Gao. Uh, and they were introduced here. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. And Chris, you know, obviously the the other huge character in the show that John's already kind of mentioned is is Kingpin. Yeah. The idea in this show, like we've talked many, many times on all of our podcasts about the movies and about the TV shows about who's the best villain. And some some have now come up and and have kind of overshadowed uh, Kingpin a little bit. But this was the first properly developed villain, right, in, in the Marvel Universe. 100%. Up until this point, there was always... I don't want to say it was a worthy mantle of that. The MCU did not have good villains because there was always a feeling of that. Up until this point, some of the shows, the the films, I should say, had very lagging villains with very short-sighted kind of views and that this was the first MCU villain who was fully developed had rationale, you had empathy for him. And that was the strange part. They had built a a villain that you could empathize with Mm -hmm. for his motives, for his, if not his actions, at least what he was trying to do. You said, right, we are now, what, two, two and a half years later since seeing this. And there have been some more well-rounded as well, kind of, there's been other contenders for this title of best Marvel, uh, MC, Marvel Netflix MCU, or just even MCU villain. Yeah. Um, but he's still up there in the top five because that's what they did. They created this, as John said, they hid this character. They built this anticipation of kind of, oh my God, what was he going to be? Who was he going to be? Mm. And they brought this character you did not expect. They did not bring the psychotic Joker-like kind of um kind of gangster character if you will where he's kind of manacle and psychotic and this was a character that you could understand that you could kind of go especially they they devoted nearly a whole episode to his backstory if you yeah, remember yeah. yeah 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 in season one it's like hey this is who you the character is this is why the character is this way yeah, I think it was absolutely an intentional decision. You look at Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., a 22-episode series now on its fourth season, uh, loads of different arcs. They do pods. They have um, segments of like five or six episodes where there's an arc and a bad guy. Um, they stretch out over almost a year, about nine months, whereas this is the first show that was on Netflix. They had a brand-new concept for being able to do a 13-hour film. People could watch it whatever way they wanted to. It's almost like they, they have the ability to do a movie that someone could sit down and watch for those 13 hours. So a really intentional decision, I'm sure, of that is being able to go, right, well, nobody can feed back to us. Nobody can tell us what they don't like and don't like. We'll deliver yeah. all of this and we'll have a story here. And if people like it, great, we can move on and do more. If they don't like it, well, we tried something new. Um, and part of that, I think, is is having Wilson Fisk 
as this character where you get to really experience Wilson Fisk. You know, he's a bit of a, I don't know, he's a bit of a standard villain in the comic books or was for many, many years. A real standard, you know, he's a big brawler who wants to run the mafia and mob of New York. It's kind of the story. Um, it's obviously changed over time, but putting him in in this way in, in, the, uh, in the TV show. And remember, the first time you see him, he's just another player in the gangs of New York. He's not seen as... Uh, the standout. In fact, no. you know, Gao is obviously challenging him. The Russian mobsters think they're on the same level as him. Nobu thinks he's on the same level as them. Each one of them have people reporting into him, into them, like Fisk. And then Fisk rises above all of them, and they all effectively, by the end of the series, they're starting to report into him. One of the really good things as well here is that you know, Madame Gao and him have that conversation in his apartment, mm. um, and you know, there is a sense that Madame Gao is certainly an equal of Wilson Fisk, and that there is some mutual admiration or respect between the two of them. Um, and I really like that, and of course, I think the other thing that we get brought in through Madame Gao, but also through uh, Nobu. Um, you know, we see the Steel Serpent logo on the drugs that are coming in. And okay, we had a lot of speculation there because obviously the link to Iron Fist uh, and Davos uh, in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, then Nobu, the ninja Nobu as part of the, the hand um, at being involved. So it, it all starts to set up as well and just introduce very nicely the these elements that really we're going to see in the defenders uh, with alexandra and everything we saw in iron fist this more kind of mystical side to this world which is absolutely grounded in a gritty reality in, in this first season um you know yeah you're, you're talking about one yeah. of the shocking moments john which was the death of wesley at the hands of karen in season one uh, real shock the, you know, he, he felt like the right-hand man to Fisk. He felt like someone that would be taken out by Daredevil, possibly, by Matt uh, at some point. And to have that shocking moment where he gets murdered by Karen because he's kidnapped her. Um, Karen is a strong, definitely a strong character on the show, but you wouldn't expect that she'd be pulling the trigger. Um, there's still lots more to Karen's story that we actually never get to find out or haven't gotten to find out so far. And may never. And may never. But I'm, I'm, I was definitely intrigued by that. And I know it has ramifications for, for season two. But the other big shocking moment of season one, if we can quickly talk about that, Ben Ulrich, a huge yeah. character from the comic books, all yeah. the way back to the 70s. Um, a really good character in the show and really well written, a kind of a hard-bitten, he's an uh, investigative journalist who's being told investigative journalism is dead. Yes, he is now, he is, uh, goes head-to-head with the Kingpin because he's investigating a situation, you know, which a normal reporter probably wouldn't do. And then we have the moment where Fisk takes it upon himself to get his hands dirty because of the investigation that's going on and kills Ben Ulrich. Yeah, and to some extent through... Um Karen going off to his his mother's nursing home as uh-huh. well. Yeah. So again, it's Karen's fault. So definitely, this is a huge thing. And yeah, it's it's the personal touch that Fisk puts on it here. Um, you know, I do like Ben and Karen's relationship though. You yeah, know, it's, yeah. it, Ben is you know even early on in the episode is pulling at these threads about sort of a new player in town or a new way of doing sort of uh, business for for the crime lords. Um, and you know, the, it gradually gets closer to the, to the fact point where you know he is confronted with the menace that he's been investigating. And it, yeah, it's a really big big 
moment in this series. So I, I suppose this was that was done for two reasons. One was the actual it was there to kind of propel the story in such a way, kind of as you said, to be the the personal element of like no nothing that you know or you think you know is sacred. And I suppose that also was done for comic book readers like ourselves, mm-hmm. which was we were all expecting, oh, it's Ben Ulrich. He's going to be there for the whole, he's going to be there forever. Like, it's him. He's a major, it was done for, no, no, no. This world that you think you know, no, you don't know it. And I suppose that was one of the biggest reasons, I think, personally, I found it one of the biggest shocks to the system, was that nothing I know or nothing I think is sacred. Yeah. Like they, they could up and kill Matt Murdock tomorrow and Karen could become the new Daredevil. And I would have to just accept it because that is the world that they envision. Mm. <laughs> now, obviously, they're probably not going to do that, but hey, you never know. As you can see, fellow defenders, our speculation is a lot of the time off. <laughs> yeah, just slightly off. Absolutely. Yeah. It was just, I think that the big part that I wanted to kind of, and I, I, John, it touches back to what you said, which is, they they are building this world, so they, they we see the um, Steel Serpent logo in the very one of the very first uh, kind of in the very first season of Daredevil, and it is not touched. The whole story is not touched until Iron Fist, which is what four seasons later of different shows. So that is something that they they, they are building up and they are laying the groundwork from the very beginning. And it's been kind of throughout that. And that's kind of like the one of the interesting things. So I'm going to kind of try and close us down on season one because they started some things in season one that kind of continued on to season two. And I, I think that's kind of where we should start looking at because one of the biggest changes we had was the change of showrunners. Mm-hmm. We went from Stephen Knight to Marco uh, Ramirez and Doug Petrie, um, which is really interesting because we, we expected with the success of season one, like Denight would be staying. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, Derek, you're, you're, you're more around this kind of element of the side yeah. of the, the business. What did you think? Yeah, admittedly, um, Ramirez and Petri were very central writers in the writer's room for Daredevil season one. They were on most of the episodes. Um, they had a couple that had their name on credits for a lot of season one as well. Um, Denight, it felt like he wanted to move on to do one big project. He, he got his film, it's still in production now, uh, three years on, uh, coming out very soon. So he got a big opportunity out of Daredevil. But Marco Ramirez and Doug Petri are the showrunners for Daredevil and are now the showrunners of Defenders coming out on, on August 18th. So um, it felt like they wanted to put, put a big guiding stamp on the universe. And it feels like Marvel and Netflix are really happy with what they gave us for season two because they've now given them Defenders, the biggest show of all the shows, really. Yeah. Um, I mean, do we talk about the Punisher for this? Like, this is very much a season of two characters, really. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a Daredevil-titled series, yet you have a huge amount of time and and development and introduction of the Punisher yeah. uh, here. He, he threads through Daredevil's uh, story and, and his world. But then also there is a moment within the series that he, in effect, separates out from, from that as Daredevil goes after um, Elektra, both romantically as well as also then to try and save her from the hand. Mm. Um, and you have Karen, yeah, ultimately assisting Frank Castle. Yeah, yeah. I think I'll take the, take the synopsis for season two. 
Is that all right? Yeah, off you go. Um, sure. You're absolutely right, John. The, uh, the synopsis is quite difficult to find the Daredevil through line without talking about the other two major characters that are introduced in the show, which is uh, Elektra and Frank Castle. So basically, as season two begins, Daredevil is still patrolling the streets. New gangs are trying to take back the operations previously run by Kingpin. When the sole survivor called Grotto of an Irish gang that were slaughtered by supposed rivals comes to Nelson Murdoch, Daredevil's put on the collision course with a new vigilante in Hell's Kitchen, Frank Castle, who actually committed the crime. Frank continues on his rampage, now attacking another gang, the Dogs of Hell. Matt's nighttime persona of Daredevil catches up to Frank. When Frank comes back to finish the job and kill Grotto, the DA Reyes has set up the trap to kill him. Karen Page investigates further and discovers that the DA had arranged to bust a drug deal between the Irish and the Dogs of Hell. When the deal went south and bullets started flying, Frank's wife and daughter were murdered in the crossfire. This sends Frank to go on a rampage to punish all those responsible for his family's death, including D.A. Reyes and the mysterious blacksmith who was behind the actual drug deal. Frank eventually finds the blacksmith as a former army colleague and makes him pay for the death of his family and leaves Health's kitchen to pursue the punishment of those who attack the innocent. After questioning his own motives when compared to Frank's killing of the guilty, Matt is tracked down by his ex-girlfriend, Electra Nachios. Electra was trained by Matt's former trainer, Stick, to stop the progress of mysterious organization, The Hand, but she has been trained to kill Hand Ninjas, putting her at odds with Matt. Electra tries to help Matt's law firm out when they're defending Frank Castle by interrogating their star witness, jeopardizing the law firm and destroying the relationship between Matt and Foggy. Matt repairs his relationship with Electra, though, and ends with and aids her in tracking down the hand and completing her mission without more killing. But under overwhelming odds, Electra sacrifices herself to save Matt and leaves him having to face the hand alone next season. Yes, and she goes into a big urn as well. Yes, she does. Gets stored away. <laughs> She is the... The Ark of the Covenant yes, from the end yeah. of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> she is the black sky. Again, and yeah, this was another great thing that they did. In the beginning of season one, we were uh, teased with what black sky was. We made some amazing theories. Well, based on the fact that Sky was a character in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., yes. you know, black sky could be the evil version of of sky exactly from the east yeah, yeah and agent <laughs> carter had that that black goo dark that matter dark matter yeah. yeah we and we even potentially thought in humans because i thought we thought that would be a, a an interesting way to bring in humans into the series yeah oh how we were wrong <laughs> oh the foibles um this was I, I, John, you get kind of you hit it on the head, and I think both you mentioned briefly. This was a season of two stories. Mm-hmm. It was two characters. You had Daredevil in the name and title, but you did have Punisher here, and this very much felt like a a birth, uh, quite a traumatic birth of the character of Punisher, who now we know is getting his own season, mm-hmm. uh, which we assume is going to be just as bloody just as gory and potentially just as interesting. Mm-hmm. And this is a, a turning point for a lot of fans so far as well. Some people thought it was slightly too much Punisher. Some people thought it was not enough Punisher, not enough Daredevil. It was an interesting kind of way of doing this because we, again, they created a character, in my own opinion, who we started empathizing with. Like there was the, the, the scene that maybe had all of us in tears where it was in the graveyard, am I right in saying, where it was Frank and Matt, and they were kind of just chatting, and you were finding that story about Frank and his daughter. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really cool. That was just um, so emotional, so impactful on so many levels. And there was many great moments throughout the season with John Bernthal and uh, Charlie Cox. Just the two of them doing two-handers like they are on stage. You know, some great moments up on the uh, up on the rooftop where uh, where Matt's yep. questioning again. Um, he's a Catholic character coming from a church background. This is why he doesn't have his. Um, this is why he doesn't kill people. He he realizes that. Uh, that you can't do that and then it's being questioned the whole time by Frank Castle who's going but if you kill them then they can't go on and do the bad things that they did before so uh, I love that that whole argument between the two of them where they don't understand each other's positions and yeah and Frank is trying to push Matt to kill and end the life of of the villains effectively definitely and you you also have that moment where Frank Castle the the guy sort of the janitor of the apartment block comes up on the roof whilst he's there oh, and yeah. he ends he is an ex army person but frank is there potentially ready to shoot him i think mm-hmm. uh, or at least you know make sure he's out of the way until he realizes that and, you know that that great kind of little standoff of you know where frank does have that soft gooey marshmallow center uh, where people are thought to be upstanding or innocent um you know well there is that standout line with karen uh, who is frank's main contact in the series where he says my bullets don't miss the people that i want to kill um so effectively what he's saying is in an entire crowd he won't kill an entire crowd to get at one person he will kill the entire crowd if he wants to kill the entire crowd it's kind of the yeah it's, it's a little bit a little bit uh bad and much worse than than matt would ever get to but um but that's his philosophy is i will only kill the people i want to kill and if i want to kill an entire room i'll do it and we also get confirmation that karen really is uh, a masochist here really um like she is hell-bent on throwing herself into danger she had it with Ben Ulrich and and kingpin in season one and now um you know her her sort of gravity um is moving towards Frank Castle. You know, he is on that kind of cliff edge, that knife edge of putting himself in constant threat of being killed. And she's ably helping him and assisting him, but really putting her own life in danger. Everybody likes a bad boy, John. (laughs) Well, that is true. That is true. As much as this show was a duality of characters... Karen has split our podcast into a duality of liking and hating. Um, I think, Derek, you really enjoy the character. I uh, now, I do want to be said that Deborah Ann Wall, the actress who plays Karen, is standout. I am not taking away or detracting from her performance. Mm-hmm. In my own personal opinion, they are leaning very heavily on the source material of who Karen is, but they have not explained it well enough yet to the audience. I haven't explained it at all to the audience. No, I, they I haven't. remember no. when we were picking out a uh, photograph of a newspaper article that Karen was holding, which tells you a bit of her backstory, that there was a car accident in her hometown, which she may or may not have been the cause of. And we had to pause the show to read the article. Because yep. they're giving so little detail about her background. She just keeps saying some bad stuff happened and that's why I'm in New York. I totally agree with you. It some, seems like something that they were holding off. They, they may have given Debran Wall some detail about the background of the character in terms of this Netflix show, because I think it's going to be different from the comic books, just to set her up and allow her to develop her character. 
but they still haven't told the audience. I'm wondering no. if this is what we're going to get when Karen moves over to Punisher. Will that show be the Punisher's new story along with Karen's old story almost? And I think they'll have to do that. We have the uh, the burden of knowledge when it comes to the comic books, um, which is a great thing and sometimes a terrible thing. Well, when you lose a character like Ben Uric, it's definitely a it's terrible a definitely thing. Terrible you don't thing. expect it. Yeah. Um, but we are also expecting a certain Daredevil season three story arc to come through as well, which that's the trouble. In my eyes, they have built up some characters with... Uh, in Daredevil specifically, they built some characters to the lofty heights of amazing storytelling. Character development is there. They're well-rounded. They're emotional. You can actually understand them. And then, unfortunately, sometimes they've forgotten other side-supporting characters to a degree. So Karen's backstory has not been fleshed out enough mm. that it explains a lot of her motives. I th- yeah, I think so. I think I definitely agree with what what Derek says about her her story and, and sort of the rationale. Um, like like you're saying, Chris, because it it's sometimes difficult to understand why Karen is doing some of the things that she's doing. Certainly, and I'm I'm not joking when like it, it is almost like she's a masochist because she's going off against the advice of, of Matt Murdock and and Foggy about putting herself in danger, and um, and she's doing that purposefully um and she you know and certainly i think in season two because of how the death of ben Ulrich um hit her uh, and and that sense of responsibility mm-hmm. that she's a big character and so she needs to get a bit more a bit more of her her backstory starting yeah. to come into this so in, in that sense I, w- I would definitely agree and um, this is always the difficulty with having only three podcasters now we used to have four um when we started out doing daredevil and some and, and sometimes that means that only one of us is standing on one side of the aisle versus the other two. So uh, if anybody out there is a Karen fan, come come let me know. It would be great to get some feedback from our listeners over at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Tell us what you like about Karen. Uh, I really enjoy the character. I don't think she rushes in to put herself into danger. I think she's trying to compensate for something we haven't learned about yet. Um, she's also trying to compensate for the fact that she knows she's responsible for the death of Ben Oric. And she's all, she's also a murderer now. She also murdered Wesley. We see that uh, where she's having these horrible nightmares of being covered in blood after the death of Wesley. She's not um, she's not able to deal with that kind of that kind of murder. And then when she finds someone like Frank Castle, the reason why she's attracted to him is because he is completely opposite to her. He has had an awful life, obviously, with with what happened to him. Um, but what she can't identify with is how is he able to go out and murder people and then go on again and kill more people? Even with the justification that he has, she still wouldn't be able to justify herself. I love that concept of using Karen in this way in the show. I definitely think, you know, we've got season three of Daredevil and we have the Punisher where she is going to be, you know, again, uh, in those seasons, probably pretty central in Punisher, potentially. Mm -hmm. Um, So that would be really interesting. I think one of the other good things from season two is... I do absolutely love that breakdown in relationship between Matt and Foggy. It has a real kind of uh, poignancy to it. Um, you know, and Foggy doing absolutely all he can to make their, their law firm a success and then finding out that, you know, Matt's effectively on an unpaid Nixer, uh, to the, the Marvel universe, uh, as some kind of superhero, mm-hmm. putting himself in danger, but ultimately undermining the work that Foggy is doing and that they have done to build that that uh, practice. And uh, th- this is a nice little 
touch here, this kind of breakdown uh, between between these two friends, you know? Well, throughout season two, does Matt actually turn up and do any lawyering? No. At all? <laughs> it feels like there's loads of moments where he just lets Foggy down and Foggy just has to take over and be a lawyer. Uh, I do like how the stories intersect to break Foggy and Matt apart. The relationship has been difficult ever since Foggy fr- found out about what Matt does. It's always been difficult. He doesn't understand why his best friend is putting his life on the line every night. Um, it's always been difficult, but I like the, how all the stories intersect. The idea of um, they are trying to defend Frank Castle in a court of law, um, and then Electra comes in and tries to help Matt out uh, by threatening their key witness, and that's what breaks the whole thing apart because they can they can no longer use the key witness testimony. So that's what that's why Foggy is going. Your two your two lives are now merging and crossing over with each other, and you are losing your concept of the law. Yeah, um, which I love that that's what breaks the two of them up because that's. That is the central relationship. So yeah, and I, I don't know what we will do without avocados at law. And I make Absolutely. that joke in, in in levity, but like this, it will be interesting to see where we end things at the end of Defenders. And will Foggy, because Matt is in this, and unfortunately because Matt is Daredevil and Daredevil is Matt, there will be some crossover again. Um, so how much I don't know, but it will be interesting to see. If we are still left with Foggy and Matt Murdoch and Nelson no longer being together mm. at the end of this, and that is the storyline for season three, yeah. perhaps. Yeah, I think one of the other things to say um, on, on these first two seasons of Daredevil is, you know, they brought us the corridor fight, um, absolutely, uh, the oh, amazing yes. one from season one, and they follow it that up with a corridor slash stirwell fight, uh, which I think was really up there with that that first corridor fight from season one in daredevil and of course that translates into you know we have jessica jones fighting with the corridor that leads to her apartment because she's so drunk every time she walks it (laughs) you have luke cage effectively walking through to shut down cottonmouth's uh operation and getting shot at through that corridor Mm -hmm. and you have the the iron fist corridor fight uh, and lift stirwell fight as well mm-hmm. um the in the meacham's apartment block so you know the, this was some amazing choreography uh, that we saw in season one which Absolutely. we were all just like blown away by the quality of that choreography its execution uh, and and just how the camera moved around and i think they equaled that uh, in many respects with the season two one i mean i really enjoyed that that move down uh, along the stairs uh, as um, he, he's fighting through all those, well, bad guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, I, I want to kind of start wrapping things up to a degree because we obviously do want to recap the other characters as well. I don't want to kind of... There's a bit of crossover now between what we'll talk about in this... Uh, at the end, where things have landed with the hand in this season and obviously Iron Fist. So I don't want to kind of tread too far into Iron Fist. Yeah. So where are we at the end? Can I quickly, before we go into the end, can I just quickly mention Stick? Of course. Because we haven't mentioned him, and he is probably one of the best characters in all of the series. He is such an a-hole. Yeah. <laughs> oh, big time. Something that I absolutely... It's just something I didn't actually didn't really expect, that this, this guy who is taking, uh, has taken Matt on his journey and takes a lecture on her journey um, would be that much of an a-hole. Yeah. But I, I I love his I, I love the fact that he is just constantly at 
Matt Murdock. Um, and obviously that relationship with Electra um, just really muddies the water here. And we get Stone here as well. I presume, will we see him in Defenders as well? We never know. Um, or will he, you know, pop up in Season 3 of Daredevil? I just said we'll never know. We'll know in three weeks' time on the 18th yeah. of August whether we get him in Defenders. Yeah. And yeah. Chris, yeah, where, where do we end Season 2 of Daredevil? Let's kind of break it down. So Foggy and, or I should say, Nelson and Murdoch are no more. Mm-hmm. So Foggy is now working with Hogarth. Chow and Benowitz. That's right, yes. Um, so that is our connection to Hogarth, uh, to the world that is Iron Fist in that through that connection. So that's one definitely interesting piece, which especially that that is going to be quite a, a, an interesting reunion, let's call it, of, say, Matt and Foggy. Um, I'm one interested to see where that goes. Karen has left and... She obviously, since no, can no longer be the business administrator for um, Nelson and Murdoch, she is now with the New York Bulletin and, more importantly, has discovered Matt's secret identity. Mm. I say dis- uh, you say discovered, but Matt did turn up at the door and with his mask in hand, basically. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, yeah. That, it is that he is revealed, isn't it? Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I shouldn't say discovered more as she used her eyes as any good journalist should. <laughs> yes. Uh, and failed to report it. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, scoop of the century, and she's like, no, I'll put that in the bottom drawer. <laughs> yeah. Just not dead. Interestingly enough, uh, Electra has uh, bit the dust, mm-hmm. which we did not foresee. She, as uh, John says, ha- is in a large urn somewhere in a warehouse beside the, the Ark of the Covenant. Um, but we've, <laughs> due to trailer spoilers um, in the Defenders, we know she is back. Hmm. Um, so somehow she is resurrected. Did we we kind of she called... was coming back at the end of season two of Daredevil. I think I think there was no spoiler that she was coming back. It's not really a spoiler, but like we, it, she was put in a resurrection urn. Yeah, yeah. She got fed got... a lot of blood. She hadn't been fed the blood though. No, but she did in Iron Fist. There were all those kids, weren't there? So they kind of got. Um, no, you got you got the sense of what was coming. That she was basically going to get uh, hooked up to a few child meals um, through, via sort of blood a transfusion. Happy meal, if yeah, you will. A, think, a bloody think, happy meal. But I think exactly. genuinely during the season of Daredevil season two, there were so many nods to the fact that Nobu had come back from the dead, um, the the yes. hand ninja, that she was part of the hand, that they were going to be capturing her. It. Absolutely. By the end of the season, I think we we knew that she would be coming back. It just hadn't been confirmed. Um, Yes, exactly. And we were expecting that this would lead to um, uh, a well-known comic book fight between Daredevil and Elektra. Mm. Um, So, again, we kind of know where this is going. But this is where we just want to tell people where they are so that they're fully aware. Uh The interesting thing, Nobu is dead again. Uh Will he stay dead? Question. This time, this time, but, I think this was this was stick lopping off yes. his head. Wasn't yeah. It? So yeah. destroy the brain or remove the head is the zombie kind of yeah. uh, killing method. So uh, so stick has obviously been watching some uh, some zombie movies. <laughs> and my favorite part of this whole season is that a Daredevil is on collision course with the hand after he discovers the huge hole in the middle of Hell's Kitchen. Mm-hmm. And we know what is coming from that hole, don't we? It's a giant hand. It is. Yes, it is. 
Yes, it is. No, it's not. But it is interesting that, that we know that that will play a central part. Mm. Whatever uh, jokes aside from the kind of hand coming out of it, we know that this is... Uh, there's many different theories at the moment as to what it could be. There's everything from Kunlung uh, mystical portals to they're just trying to destabilize parts of New York to it's just a hole. They're excavating something out of there's it. something to find in New York. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So there's many different things, but more importantly that we now know the hand is very centrally, very much in New York, in Hell's Kitchen, mm-hmm. um, not just Hell's Kitchen, but all across. And Matt is kind of no more, Daredevil is no more at this point in time. He does not know the, the duality of having a secret identity. So we do not know whether he's going to be Matt all the time, or is he just going to continue to be Daredevil? He's certainly at sea. Yes. Overall, guys, what do you think of, of Daredevil as a, as a show? I still hold the soft spot for Daredevil. Mm-hmm. He was the first. He was the first Marvel Netflix um, show. He he was the first one to introduce the world, the, the gritty, violent, blood-soaked, while quite interesting and uh, emotional world. Um, and I think I'll always hold a heart there too, a candle to that heart, I should say. Um, because it is, well, one, it's a character that I really enjoy. Absolutely. Um, and the secondly, he, he forced, because I enjoy this character so much, I use really bad analogies, such as a candle to the heart, and <laughs> that is such a thing. I was um, questioning, but I didn't want yeah, to Yeah, so I, okay. I could see Derek's face going, <laughs> candle to the heart? <laughs> um, but seriously, though, like, this is, he was, it was the first. A lot of people rank season two above season one but i think because of the characters and everything like that season one is so much better for me but that's not to detract from season two Uh, as a whole it is an amazing show absolutely i I think um for me i think these are are really solid they're up there some of my favorites i think they're the more consistent um and standalone uh, compared to say Luke Cage and Iron Fist that come later even though I love um, Luke Cage and um, I I thought that ultimately Iron Fist in the end did a pretty good showing I do think that these are really nice consistent world establishers they have some great characters um, in in Wilson Fisk Wesley Madame Gao setting up this universe uh, on Marvel Netflix and season two kind of expands that and you know ultimately is uh, introduces the Punisher and what can you not like about that it may have slightly muddled uh, or shortened what could be done for Daredevil and his friends and their storyline but I, I think probably season three then that is not that's not going to happen. So I really uh, think these are two really solid, strong seasons mm-hmm. of Daredevil. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. For for me, Daredevil season one is it just kicks and punches its way into the world like no other show uh, has done. Uh, it was doing something brand new. It hooked me from the start and was fantastic. Season two, I, I'm one of those people. I feel that it did focus too much on Punisher. I loved Punisher, but I wish this was Punisher season one with uh, a guest starring role from Daredevil rather than it being called Daredevil season two. Because um, that's kind of what it felt like. And I loved it. it. It was brilliant. It was a really good show, but I felt like there was more you could do with Matt. 
Yeah, there was there was more of a journey Definitely. that he could go on. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing more of him in uh, in Defenders. I love the character of Matt Murdock. Charlie Cox is perfectly pitched in that role. I think he's really really good. I just really enjoyed the idea of of Matt Murdock. I love the idea that the character's got a moral code, and he goes out and tries to balance that moral code throughout the season one and a bit of season two. But overall, two great seasons. Okay, guys. So we we have recapped two seasons in a very short amount of time, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. And unusual but, for us. <laughs> yes, seeing that we like to talk quite a lot, and for sometimes we can talk about a whole hour's worth of programming for more than an hour. Mm-hmm. But I think we should kind of move on, and we're gonna. Uh, Fellow Defenders, thank you very much for uh, joining us for this recap of uh, Season 1 and 2 of Daredevil. We're going to be moving forward to recap Jessica Jones next. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will then, of course, cover Luke Cage and Iron Fist as well, because all paths are leading to Defenders on the August 18th. Yep, the plan is to have our Jessica Jones recap out on August 4th, uh, a couple of weeks before um, Four Defenders comes out. And then on Monday, the following week, we should have Luke Cage. And then the following Friday, Iron Fist. And then a free and clear week up until Defenders comes out on the 18th of August. Of course, because that week we will be sitting in the corner with eager grins on our face, all because the arrival of Defenders on August 18th is going to have so many of us happy, hopefully like you too. Absolutely, yes. And if you want to join us for all those podcasts, make sure you subscribe to the podcast over on Apple Podcasts by going through DefendersTVPodcast.com slash iTunes, or you can find us on any hand-supporting or Defender-supporting podcast catcher just by searching Defenders TV Podcast. We also have a feed up on iTunes for each of the individual shows, so if you're not interested in Jessica Jones or if you're not interested in Luke Cage, you can go and just get our Daredevil coverage, which is every episode we've recorded about Daredevil since we started two and a half years ago looking forward to having you join us fellow defenders for uh, for the next episode of exactly. Jessica Jones recap exactly and then come on over to the Facebook group as well at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash defenders TV podcast at defenders cast on the old Twitter place and then of course um you, if you want to comment or leave a discussion on anything to do with the uh, the last what five seasons of the Defenders uh, individual shows or what you're thinking may pop up for the Defenders uh, on the 18th of August, you can go to feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com or you can go to DefendersTVPodcast.com, leave a voicemail up to 90 seconds worth um, of your lovely baritone or soprano voices (laughs) to be played out on the podcast thanks so much for joining us fellow defenders we'll be back with our jessica jones recap on friday yes thank you so much and see you soon i'm going to go to my urn for a good well-earned rest and um, thank you as always for listening and we'll speak with you next time bye we don't get a chance to talk again.